Toakera ki runga o titirangi mohunga Whakararo te titiro ki ngā raparapa Rangi ahua taku whenua tipu He wai o awa e tere akera Hureko ake ki te poho o tamaterangi Ki ana kōrero He ao te rangi ka uhia mā Te huruhuru te manu ka rere ai O ka nui te honore me te kororea ki te atua O glory and praise to our God Tēnā koe e pā. A ki te whare karakia e tūnei me ngā tipuna o te whare. Tēnā koutou katoa to this place that stands here today and those who have gone before us in this place. Tēnā koe. Ki ngā rangatira o tēnei wahi, ko Gary, ko Shannon, ko Steve, O tira ngā era atu pau, tēnā koutou. To all of the leaders of this place, I say a greeting. Ngā mihi nui ki a koe e Fred, i tō mātauranga kaha hoki i te ao Māori. Ki ngā tangata, kei te kawe ngā kūpu o te rongopai. Kei te rere, te aroha, ki a koutou. To all of the people, the holders of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in this place, my love goes to you. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Ka mea ihu, ko ahau te huarahi, ko ahau te pono, ko ahau te ora, e kore rawa te tahitangata, e haere ake aue ki te matua, ki te kahore ahau, au, aue ha. I've completed my greeting to you today with the words... Uh, of Jesus, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm really grateful for the invitation to come and to speak today. Um, Gary, I've known for many years, I think it's 23 years ago, when he was already a veteran pastor <laughs> at Tutorangi Baptist Church. He was the uh, youth pastor at the time, and I was a fresh-faced new youth pastor at Henderson Baptist Church. And that's when I met Gary for the first time. He was one of my first mentors, and I've really enjoyed to see his, um, the beautiful ministry he's had in our Baptist churches, and now um, you are blessed to have him here. Shannon, I've also seen you around the traps for a long time, eh? For many years, and I know some of you in the congregation, so it's a, a privilege and it's wonderful to be able to be here today. And, uh, of course, I acknowledge uh, Fred as well, um, our rangatira at Vision West. One of them. Lisa, are you here, Lisa? Lisa's not here. I acknowledge her too, anyway. <laughs> Aye. Aye. Um, I've got some slides, but I don't know. If I push this thing... 50-50? Um, 
Can you, can you follow me at the back, bro? Is that all good? Thank you. The past nine days um, have been simply unbelievable. If we could have the next slide. Many of us are here today and have had to contend with flooding in our homes. Some of us will have seen significant damage to our property and to um, and loss in our lives. In my role at Vision West, I have the privilege of walking alongside people and I've seen people who have become homeless because of these floods. I've seen many, many people in distress not knowing what to do. And of course, we must acknowledge those who passed um, during that time and mourn with those who mourn. It is heartbreaking to see the impacts on people And we know that the recovery for many has only just begun. And so we acknowledge this today. We also acknowledge that part of the reality of life is change. And for those people, those changes will be change of carpets. There will be change of circumstances, change of homes. But change is inevitable for all of us. Change is actually a certainty in life. It's one of the greatest certainties we have. And yet, for some reason, we really struggle with change. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 12. And you can follow along on there if you like. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Actually, Shannon, can I get this up a little bit? How do I move this up? Do I just... Somebody will help me. Awesome. They've always got a little trick, eh? Oh, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is a familiar passage, eh? Especially for those who have been around um, church for a while. Um, this, this call to a change, to a significant transformation, an ongoing work. 
You know, of course, we have the idea of justification, which is all about we are right before God. As soon as we accept Christ, that has happened for yesterday, today, and forever. It's a wonderful thing. But then there's this idea of sanctification, that we're being made new every day. That our change, our transformation is something that continues. And so we lean into that. But man, we resist change, don't we? Let's go to the next slide. Hey, does anybody remember um, Billy Joel's song? You know, just the way you are. You know, what's, what's the first words of that? Don't go changing, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, uh, maybe for you millennials out there, you, you prefer 660s version of Don't Go Changing. It's also very good as well. Beautiful words, beautiful statements. We say to people, hey, when we, when we love them, we say, don't change, don't change. But you know what? We don't really mean it. Like, do we really want our loved ones to be stuck in the re repetition of sameness? Do we really want to see no growth? Do we really want to see no development amongst our loved ones? What are we really saying when we say that? What we're really saying is we're saying, I accept you. I accept you for who you are. Right? That's what we mean when we say don't go changing. We don't mean don't go changing. God is like that too with us. He loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to keep us the same. He loves us too much not to do the work of change and transformation in our lives that he promises to do. Change, transformation is what the Christian life is about. Just one minute look, even scraping just under the surface, a little look deeper in our lives, and we know that's true, right? We know it's true, even though we resist it because we are settled in our way, because it's this funny irony that despite the fact that change is good for us, despite the fact that it's part of God's plan and his way of, of working with us, sometimes we almost feel repellent to it or allergic to it. We want to keep it away. We feel comfortable and we like the comfort that we have. We feel settled. We like the way we think. We're somehow wired for comfort. Somehow change disrupts, it challenges us, and we feel challenged to the core. Well, Paul has something quite striking to say about this in the passage I just read. <laughs> Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And I prefer um, the New, New Living Translation version, which says, Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. See, God still has work to do in my life. God still has work to do in your life. God has work to do and he is working in us right now. And despite those feelings of, oh, but it's always been this way or I, I like it the way it is, that settled good life is a myth. It's not true. It's not what God calls us to. The way of the fullness to, of life is to allow God to change us today and tomorrow. And it starts with us looking deep inside. 
Now, just to be clear, I don't think I probably need to put a disclaimer in, but I just will just, just so that you know. I'm not saying that you should give um, your self-esteem a knock. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, it's really important to, to think well of yourself. This is not what I'm talking about. We are made in God's image, and the glory that is the divine spark that God has put in each one of us is there. So get to pie. That is all good. But what I am saying is that every one of us has some way to go on the journey, don't we? We know. We know it's true. And this passage gives us hints of the direction for the growth that is needed in this life. Next slide. There's this imagery in this passage of the body of Christ. It's very familiar imagery. In fact, Paul uses it all over the place. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 12 as well. He uses it a number of times through Ephesians and in other places. And this imagery is really important. It, is, it shows us something of the diversity that can be found within unity. You hear that? The diversity that can be found within unity. And the unity that can be found through diversity. We are not all the same. Just look around. <laughs> We're not all the same. God never designed us that way. But together, we are the body of Christ. It's not just Paul that loves this imagery. I mean, the, the most potent and powerful image of the body of Christ is Christ himself, where his body was broken for us. We remember it each time we sit at the communion table. We remember it every time we think of our salvation. It is the very core of our faith. That's the source of of the hope of our transformation, of our very salvation. We are one body with many parts. And as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. So this brings me to my challenge for us today. If we go to the next slide. Today, on the eve of Waitangi Day 2023, this very day, there is no better time for us to reflect on a change that I believe God is calling us to right now. He's calling the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand to. It is a change that is needed for his church, a change which will see his kingdom come and his will being done here on earth as in heaven. Just as the good news of Christ helped to bring about the change seen at Waitangi in 1840, so too the good news of Jesus Christ speaks to us of a renewing of our minds that allows for the future. But as part of that future, we need to recognize and look to the past. We need to understand why things are the way that they are, why we see the things that we see. You see, in the same way that we saw the, those floods of water, for some of us, come through our walls, <laughs> changing the course of, of people's lives, some impacted like forever by those floods this last week, so my tipuna, 
My Māori ancestors had their lives changed forever by the floods of migration that came to Aotearoa, New Zealand from the um, 19th century onwards. Those floods changed things forever for Māori. So no matter what you think, just think of that one thing. No matter how you conceive of this this, um, issue in your mind at this time, think of that one thing. Things would change forever. And you know what? That's actually okay. (laughs) Because transformation and change is good. But much of the rhetoric that we hear, particularly around colonization, around that those mass immigrations in the early and mid and late 19th century, are highlighted by this, this rhetoric, I guess, that, that this floods of British and European settlement just brought good stuff to these people. Western knowledge, education, technology, and of course, the good news of the gospel, right? Yep, those things came. <laughs> It's true, they're good things, and they were often things that were enthusiastically embraced by Māori and throughout history. But the history told often fails to recognize, fails to show the cost that Māori bore because of these things. The diseases that devastated Māori populations, the new weapons and forms of warfare that meant thousands of lives Tens of thousands of lives gone. The land that was taken, stolen by British settlement, which in illegitimate means confiscated and stole Māori land. The systematic stripping away of te reo Māori as a language, this beautiful language, the basis of our culture through legislation and the way in which it was enacted in our schools, in our institutions and in our homes and often complicit in all of this with the actions of the church. In our case, the Baptist churches, uh, particularly through the late late 19th century and early 20th century, and the result of that was injustice. Wrong. Now, I know this may be hard to hear. Uh, For some people, it will be really, really difficult. I understand I understand that this is a difficult thing to process and to think through, and particularly if you think maybe a finger's wagging at you, um, which is not what's actually happening, but you may feel that that's it, and I acknowledge that. But although these things are actually clear, like they're clear to anybody who looks significantly into the history of Aotearoa New Zealand, it doesn't, often it doesn't hit home. That these changes back then means something now, and they challenge us. The change that happened then challenges us to change today. I believe that God is calling us to this change. But before I get to that, I'll just tell you a little bit of my story, which actually is quite a sanitized version um, compared to others, but I think still makes the point. Um, at the next slide, thanks. That man on, the, on your left is my grandfather. His name was Henry Colton, or Major, Henry Colton Arundel Lambert. And um, he, I lived with him for a number of years through my teen life. This woman down on your right 
is his grandmother, whose name was Tea Tamayahua. She was born in 1860 in, um, in Te uh, near Lake Waikaremoana, was raised on the shores of Lake Waikaremoana. She raised my grandfather. So I lived with my grandfather, and he was raised by his grandmother here. Pretty close connection, eh? Not very far away. So what happened? I want to tell you a little story about education in our family. Because my grandfather, he was a teacher. He was a man who, he was a principal of schools. He was the first Māori teacher at the uh, Auckland College of Education. He was an educated man. Um, he became a scholar in his family. In fact, he was given the best of English education. And he did well. He thrived. However, he was never allowed to speak Māori. Never. Even though many of his siblings who were raised by their parents and not by their grandparents um, were and did speak Māori, he was never allowed to. This was a cause of huge embarrassment for him as he became one of the commanding officers within the Māori battalion. I mean, he couldn't even converse with his men in their own language. Um, they used to laugh at him, but not too loud because he was a major. <laughs> but as a result of that loss of language, my beautiful mum, who I told not to come today, <laughs> so I could say this, <laughs> no, no, she struggles to pronounce Māori words even today. Being a bit of an enthusiast myself, keeping with this education theme, um, or, or te reo theme, as a young man, I wanted, uh, when I went to high school, I wanted to do Māori. I wanted to study Māori. I thought, yes, I can, I can do something here. Um, as a 13-year-old, went to the dean with my dad and mum, and the dean said, well, if you do Māori, you can't be in the accelerated class. And so I took French. Sacré bleu. One of my daughters, just a few years ago, in a local high school, was not able to enrol in te reo Māori and biology at the same time. And I said to the school, don't we want Māori-speaking biologists? <laughs> What's going on here? You see, the effects of then have affected the change today, and, the, and those effects are still here, and change is still needed. I mean, I've got a beautiful story too in my whānau that my eldest daughter's just finished a year of, of full immersion and she's able to kōrero Māori. I wish she was here today, Fred. She would have a kōrero with you after. <laughs> uh, my other daughters are, are, are doing, doing awesome stuff in te reo and kapahaka and these sort of things. And, and, and one day I look forward to having grandkids who can speak te reo Māori and me sitting there not understanding what they're saying. <laughs> but I look forward to that. I look forward to them doing that. Um... There's my name. You know? I, I say my name is Rawari. That's how you've heard me introduced. That's who I am. But up until 2016, there were only two people in my life who called me Rawari. Um, an old friend of my grandfather's who never called me anything but Rawari my whole life. Um, an old uh, komatoa in Taranaki because I passed it down there in Hawara for a while. And, um, and he always called me Rawari. And the day in 2016 when uh, a great komatoa within our Baptist movement, Sam Emery, some of you may know Sam, he was, um, an awesome, he's an awesome man, he, um, he always called me David and Dave all the time, because 
Raul is just Māori for David. So he'd always called me David, David. That's what my mum called me. That's what my name was. Everybody called me that. And then one day, he didn't. <laughs> one day he called me Rawari, and that was it. I just knew. My name's Rawari. And there was an, a, start, a start of another interesting journey for me since 2016. With the next slide, please. You know, stories, these stories of loss, these stories of, of difficulty are found in our Baptist family as well. They're in our whakapapa as a denomination, as a collection of churches. A few years ago, I completed a master's thesis looking at the engagement between Baptists and Māori through history. I looked at it through a kaupapa Māori lens, and what I discovered was humbling to say the least. Many decisions were made. In fact, some, a few actually very key decisions were made that seemed at the time to be very sensible, very pragmatic, a good use, a wise use of resources, but alongside um, questionable thinking about Māori being a, a dying race, um, of priorities, prioritising different peoples around the world, a process of prioritisation, our Baptist forebears neglected any real engagement with Māori for decades and decades and decades. While the Anglicans and the Catholics and the, and the other denominations were working hard with Māori through the late 19th century, early 20th century, Presbyterians even, we were the Baptists. We did nothing until the 1950s. And we happily went along. We were a Pākehā church, a, a church for Pākehā. That's who we were. That's the legacy of the Baptist church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I think we hold that legacy still. The effects of those decisions, the neglect for 70 years of any kind of engagement with Māori, are replicated through our history, I found, through my research. And I believe, actually, um, is happening right now within our Baptist Union, um, of which I'm very sad and may say some things at some time. The truth is, as Baptists, we have viewed Māori throughout history in much the same way that Aotearoa New Zealand, most of New Zealanders have, as other as outside, as a problem, with a lack of true engagement, a lack of gospel-shaped relationship. How can we be one body when part of the body is missing? This is just one of the questions, I think, that we need to ask as Baptist churches. You may, be there, you may be sitting there thinking, what has this got to do with transformation and change today? Well, the change needs to come through Christ. In your mission statement, which will be on the next slide, um, as Glen Eden Baptist Church, you speak of the hope that you have in Christ. Awesome. I love that. That's fantastic. You also speak of being transformed by Christ and being empowered through Christ to change that world. And that is excellent. 
if we are indeed the body of Christ, if we are to work in unison, in unity, as many parts, each doing our part, then there needs to be a recognition of the missing pieces, the parts that aren't there, the ones that need care and consideration. You know, it doesn't take much. Just open your newspaper Just look at the statistics for health, for imprisonment, for trauma, for violence, for employment, and for many other things. These place Māori amongst the most vulnerable people of our communities. Anybody who can't see that that's related to our history, frankly, is blind. It comes from somewhere, and that's where it comes from. These are my people. My tipuna. We read, we read earlier that God's will is that something we must discern, and that it is good and pleasing and perfect. Is this state of affairs good? Is this state of affairs pleasing? Is it perfect? It's not God's will. So, what does this mean for us today? With the clear links between the losses associated with colonization that Māori have experienced and the opportunity to make a real difference is is really there. And in the words of Paul, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by a renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, his perfect will. And so the challenge for us remains. Will you be transformed by a renewing of your mind, the way you think about these issues? Will you give up some of your comfort to see real change happen? Will you pray with Māori, with me, that Māori can take their place as amongst the people in the kingdom of God and see his kingdom come? Will you join with me that we might discern together God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? Let's pray. Loving God, it's always hard, Lord, when we feel uh, challenged, Lord. It's always difficult when we feel out of our comfort zone. But, Lord, we know that you call us to this. Lord, we know that a transformed life is not a a single moment that happened one day back in 1984 (laughs) or in 2006. Lord, we know that a transformed life is lived throughout our lives. And, Lord, we all hold thoughts. We all hold things in many areas of our life, but in this area, Lord, I pray that there might be transformation, that there might be a sense of change that allows for your will to be done, that allows us to join your story. May we walk with you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.